Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We're getting towards the holiday season, so I'm excited. There's a little bit of break here as we've been going fairly hard, so we're excited for that. Yes, I feel like I still have like 24 hours left of, of going hard before we're into any kind of holiday break, but we're getting there. It's almost almost time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is this is that season of the year where everybody is traveling a lot, you know, a lot of, a lot of family time, a lot of other commitments. And I think what I appreciate about my coach, and I know you're like this with your athletes, is, is just that like, okay, you know what? It's great if you can stick to your training plan and everything, but it's also totally fine if maybe all you got in today was a walk and some yoga and that's totally okay. Certainly. Yeah. And I mean, we just did uh, three episodes and, uh, you know, associated posts on consummateathlete.com around goal setting, season reflection. Uh, we had Rachel Peugeot on talking about, uh, you know, planning and, and dealing with adversity. So uh, I think in line with what you're saying, uh, we're also looking at, you know, these periods of the year where family's important or work's important or training's important, right? So it might be, this might be where you start is just embracing holidays, uh, if that's what you want to do and, and then getting ready for the new year. It's true. If you go into the new year with your family all super annoyed at you because you spent Christmas Day out on your your twenty miler, uh, you know that's that's probably not the way you want to start the year. Could be, could be. I mean, I think we see both, right? I think for some folks, it's it's a great time to get in some mileage, and sure. you know they might even be away on a, a camp or, or something too, right? So there's there's all sort of different scenarios. There's no right or wrong, but it, it's just reflecting on what what has worked or or what looks like it's going to work uh, on you know coming into this year. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, on that note, I know for me, this time of year is always tricky as far as nutrition goes, because I have a deep, deep love of my mom's cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning, uh, the like three layer crab dip that she makes, uh, sort of all of the all of the goodies. And I am not one to turn down a cookie if we're being totally honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely with all the travel and all of that, I am so, so glad that we have, uh, you know, our show sponsor, Athletic Greens AG1 in my back pocket, sometimes literally in my back pocket because I do take the travel packs and they're so helpful on, you know, weeks like this where, to be honest, my my routine's a little a little askew. That's right. Uh, and we're really happy because they have that NSF rating, uh, which is, you know, helping to make sure that there's no, you know, extra stuff in there that's not supposed to be and the stuff that's in there is supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. And what's in there is our probiotics, our prebiotics, our vitamins, our minerals, our adaptogens, and of course, our greens. That's right. Uh, it's not just greens. No, it is not. It's sort of all of the good stuff in in one-stop shop. And that's the other reason we really like it is because, especially for us, you know, when we're on the road, it can be a giant pain. And I've definitely done years where I've carried, you know, six supplement bottles and powders that's and right. stuff. And we know so many athletes have like the crowded cabinet of 18 different powders and pills. And that's that's a lot. And I kind of prefer this. This just one hit, like, boom, done. I think it's tasty. I think it's a good way to start my morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, you know, even when I am home and enjoying the cinnamon rolls, I think it's that good reminder in the morning of like, okay, we can we can have the cinnamon roll. We can totally enjoy that. But like, let's also just be aware that we're you know make sure that we're giving our body the the good stuff that it needs as well. Uh, I think this gets into that intuitive eating concept we talked about a few months ago with Carolyn Burkholder. I think it's it's okay to kind of blend the the healthy healthy stuff with the the very tasty stuff. So uh, definitely check that out. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Love the travel pack. With your first purchase, all you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. That's athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H because consummate was too hard to spell. And you can take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. So with that said, I am also super, super excited to have Dr. Stacy Sims author of Roar, author of Next Level, uh, champion of women's sports science, just all around awesome human, back on the show. I think she's actually our most recurrent guest. 
Could be. And, and one of our most popular as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think for good reason, right? I think, you know, I think this year, I'm going to say it as a prediction. I think this, this women's health, the strength training, especially just for everyone, but I think especially for women, I think it's, I think I'm seeing it catching on more than it has. So we'll, so we'll see how my prediction goes. But uh, Stacy has certainly been a champion of strength training, uh, you know, eating, uh, you know, differently as we get into menopause and into, you know, older age. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is going to be a big year. And I think what I really love about her, though, is we got into a little bit about some of the the testing and the trackers and stuff that are becoming more and more popular as like this genre of women's health gets more popular. And she actually had some pretty, pretty interesting like opinions on them where I, I wouldn't have realized that some of the stuff doesn't work the way that you think it's going to work. That's, um, I guess that's life, isn't it? I, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but we and actually we we'd written a post about this, and maybe we'll link it in the show notes where we talked about the the do you test or do you just start changing? And we actually had this really interesting discussion of like, is it red S or is it perimenopause? Um, and we were kind of like, well, it doesn't really right. matter. the The thing you would do is pretty similar in either case. So maybe just start working on the thing while you figure out what exactly is the cause. Mm-hmm. I sort of call that the Doctor House strategy, you know, offhand, which is not what I mean. You know, don't take Vicodin, certainly, but yeah, don't, uh, don't do that. <laughs> what was the thing they always were giving people? It was it was always like lupus, and then it was like interferon. Or interferon, something. yeah. So don't do that uh, unless you need to do that, or a doctor tells you to do that. Who's not Doctor House? Then then it would be okay. But don't uh, listen to Hugh Laurie for yeah. medical advice. It's sort of where we're <laughs> Anyhow, going. Anyhow, I, I like the shorthand. So you know that Doctor House method is you know if 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 you do this test, you know what what are they going to suggest you do, and then is that stuff good to do? Anyhow. Uh, sort of is how some of those strikes me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we definitely got into a lot about that. I think, you know, whether, no matter who you are, you're going to get something out of this episode. Uh, and, you know, while we're while we're kind of titling it around menopause, and that's a lot of what we talk about, uh, any, any younger women, definitely, definitely listen to this because we did get into some more general women's health stuff. But also, I, what I'm always surprised about is perimenopause is, a ba- like, can start very, very early. So being thoughtful about this, honestly, Honestly, even in your 20s mm-hmm. is a good idea like there's so much we can do to to be smarter about it so that when we do hit this hit this phase of life it's easier so i think yeah well and again we say this flippantly that you know it applies to men which i, I mean strength training protein it, it's important you know taking care of you know not everything's going to work up till this point but also i think focusing on women's health i think you know men may be able to direct you know wives daughters grandmothers, whatever, uh, towards the, this content and this, you know, maybe Stacy's book or, or some sort of, you know, some of these ideas. Not to mention, just have a better understanding of what the women in your life are going mm-hmm. through, I think mm-hmm. is a really good part of that too. Yeah. All right. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Stacy Sims back for the third time on the podcast. Enjoy. All right. Stacey Sims, Dr. Stacy Sims back on the Consummate Athlete podcast. I think you are now our both like one of our first guests and I think we've had you on more times than anyone else so welcome back to the podcast thank you exciting (laughs) well you always have so much good stuff going on and I feel like it's every time we have you on there's something completely different so I mean first of all congrats on the new book and the app and everything else that you have (laughs) going on so um, thanks (laughs) yeah let's let's start with just like what the heck are you up to these days like how are when someone says like what have you been doing lately how do you uh how do you explain all of the things I look look at most people with like a blank face going I don't really know let's see what's going on um (laughs) yeah so we launched next level back in May so that Mm -hmm. was good uh so we've been doing more online course content so that's cool um i've had three phd students successfully defend and i have another one defending tomorrow um been working industry stuff so been doing more collaborations and getting industry and research together to do proper female athlete research gosh i could keep going on and on but that's not what this podcast is about just too many things too yeah. many things. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even want to ask how like training or anything is going because I can imagine mm. it's, it's just happening when it can. Yeah. <laughs> Fit it in here and there. Yeah. 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 
So, I mean, what uh, what got you excited to do next level and be talking about menopause? I mean, it seems like you've you've kind of you really niched into that for a while, and it seems like you've kind of broadened back out to more kind of like all of the aspects of of women's health. But what got you heavily invested in menopause? Um, well, it was kind of a combination of things. Like when we wrote Roar, I was really like, we got to put this thing at least one chapter in about menopause because. I was working at Stanford and I was in the Women's Health Initiative data sets and I had been working with one of the top complementary alternative medicine um, professors and research scientists that came over from Columbia looking at things like black cohosh and other adaptogens. And so it was just kind of like, it's something that happens and no one talks about it. So we did put that one chapter in Roar and all of a sudden all these people were like, Oh, I need more. I need more. What about me? What about me? Because most of the stuff that you read or hear about is people who are obese, sedentary, all of a sudden they're getting sick, they're losing bone mineral density, but there's a huge amount of masters athletes. And I say masters because we're all wise and educated mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, what's going on? Cause now like, I'm not getting faster and putting weight on, but I don't fit these parameters that everyone's talking about. So, um, yeah, so Celine and I pitched to the publisher and they're like, yeah, okay, let's do this. So that was next level where I wanted to put as much information in one place that people could gravitate to and learn about it so that it's not a surprise because mm -hmm. perimenopause happens to every woman, menopause happens to every woman and no one talks about it and everyone's freaking out about it. And we wanted to make it normalized. I love it. I love it. And so I kind of wanted to go into sort of before, during and after menopause, because I know pretty much every one of our, our women listeners is sort of in that that range. I'd say I'm in the the pre perimenopause, but like creeping ever so quickly towards it. Yeah. Uh, so what the heck should I be thinking about now that I'm in that that phase of life? Yeah. So don't freak out about it for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cause we say there's two absolutes for women, puberty and menopause. Um, but what's happening is we're starting to see a change in the ratios of estrogen progesterone, just like at puberty, where you see a change, all of a sudden you have this big uptick and the menstrual cycle happens and body composition changes happen. Well, now we're on the other end of the spectrum where things are starting to wind down because the body's like, Hmm, our eggs are getting a little bit old. We don't really need to be viable to have a child that might not be as robust to stress as we would like. So we started seeing a little bit of what we call ovarian failure. So we have more anovulatory cycles. And if you don't ovulate, you don't produce progesterone. So women are starting to become more estrogen dominant. We start seeing um, changes in the way that training is affecting us. So things that we used to do, we can't quite get on top of. It's not creating the adaptive changes we want. Might see we're failing to hit the top end number of like intervals and power. And all this has to do with the way estrogen and progesterone affect every system of the body. So if we're in our late thirties, we're fine. Like we're not seeing any changes because we're like, sweet. Yay. Okay. We're still in our premenopausal years. You start getting into your early to mid forties and you might start seeing some changes where you're like, I'm really tired and I can't hit those power numbers. What's going on. Mm -hmm. So this is where we wanted to really start focusing on strength because we're starting to see a downturn in strength and power because of the way estrogen and progesterone affect our ability for strong muscle contractions, muscle um, protein synthesis, glucose metabolism. So all the things that go into that top end. Then we start to get into our late forties and this is pure perimenopause. Sometimes it starts earlier. Like we see um, there's a range of perimenopause from 35 to around 50 and then the average age of actual one point in time with no periods for 12 months menopause the average age is 51 so in that 15-ish years leading up to that one point in time you're not really going to see too many body comp changes you're start going to start seeing changes in bleed pattern changes in menstrual cycle length um, and then as you get closer to menopause and that late perimenopause this is where we see the biggest change of body composition. We start to see uh, all the symptomology of brain fog, night sweats, vaginal dryness, lack of libido, um, 
just pure lack of strength and power. So that is the telling sign that you are definitely in perimenopause. But there is no blood test to tell you. It okay. is. Yeah, that was that was what yeah. I was going to ask is like, well, how, how, how do we know? Yeah, this is actually one of these really interesting things. A lot of the early like the, the sort of pre symptoms we were talking, you were kind of mentioning and like the not hitting your power numbers, that kind of stuff could also be low energy availability. It could be more exactly. in that red S. So, I mean, it's such a minefield of like, is this just how my body is now? Or is this a result of you know, me not eating enough or me not eating at the right times. Yeah. And so this is the thing, because people who are going through perimenopause are like, well, how do I know if it's perimenopause or if I'm in red S or low energy availability? So we unpack it. So first we're like, okay, well, let's try to really nail down the eating and the timing of the eating. And then this is going to show us what's happening from a training perspective. Then we also have to start looking at sleep patterns, um, heart rate variability, and so we start seeing trends and we want to look at trends. And what you can do is you can start looking at trends in your estrogen progesterone ratios. So you can't go get a one point in time blood test, but you can ask and talk to your physician and be like, Hey, I'm really interested. And you'll have to push a bit because physicians aren't that willing to do blood tests, but you're like, I just want to see the trends in my ratios. So you go every 21st day of your menstrual cycle, because that's when we do progesterone. And this is where you can really optimize and see what's happening with progesterone. Or if you're interested more in estrogen and estradiol, you go on day two of your cycle, which is a little bit easier to pinpoint because day two is the second day of bleeding. And then you can see actually what's going on with your estradiol. Mm -hmm. So if you start seeing trends and you can watch the trends, then that gives you more indication of, are you actually getting into ratio changes and perimenopause? Or are we really looking at, we can dial back the training, increase our food intake, try to do some more parasympathetic activation. But you know what? The same thing for red S, um, getting out of red S is the same thing we do for perimenopause, right? That's Three always time. that interesting. Like, is it really worth going down these rabbit holes? Right. Or just get into the lifestyle change. Right. Because we know that when you're really timing your food intake around your training, then this helps with body composition. If we're doing more parasympathetic activation, then this helps with sleep architecture, which gets disrupted with perimenopause. So it's like when we look at everything that's going on, if we actually take care of the body in the stressful situations, it helps regardless of if it's low energy availability or if it's perimenopause. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. I was actually just recently looking at, it seems like there's like a lot of these like take home hormone test kits that like you're either peeing on something or I don't, I don't know if any of them involve blood or spit or what, what the deal is. Are any of those like worth doing or no. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all? Like we hear a lot about, Oh, I did a Dutch test, which is the dried urine stuff mm-hmm. and my hormones are imbalanced. And it's like, but the validation of what's in your urine is metabolite. And that is not an indication of how your body is using or producing your sex hormones. Um, so Dutch tests are not valid when you're trying to figure out what's going on with regards to hormone stuff. Um, and you can't really change. It just gives you information like blood tests, all that kind of stuff will give you information, but it's not going to help you change anything. We have to look externally. We have to look at an external stress to cause a physiological adaptation that the hormones used to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I love that. I think we need to kind of underscore that because I think there's a lot of people that get stuck in that test, retest, test, 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 test cycle and never actually are making the changes. I mean, I see that too. Even with the the trackers or like any of the HIV stuff, you look at it and you're like, oh, I got a bad night of sleep. And like, you don't change anything. (laughs) Like if you don't change any of your actions, all the tracking in the world is not going to make you (laughs) better here. I know. And like with HRV too, it's not like the current algorithms on almost all the wearables are not appropriate for women because the HRV changes after ovulation. We have a change in our autonomic nervous system. So regardless of what you do, especially about the week before your period starts, you're never going to be in the green let's go Mm -hmm. because there's been this change where your respiratory rate is elevated, your resting heart rate is elevated. Um, and your sleep patterns are changed and it's a hormonal and a nervous system thing, but the algorithms are going to read that as being not recovered. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So here's where I want to throw a wrinkle and see how this works. Hormonal IUDs. I think, you know, a lot more women are getting them, especially with the current political atmosphere in the US. Yes. A lot of women really want to make sure that they are, you know, the most like under control birth control option possible. And IUDs are pretty easy for that. But with them, you tend to not get a period. So how the, like, do you have a cycle? Can you still track it with like body temperature? How does this work? <laughs> What's yeah. happening to us? <laughs> So I'm, I'm a fan of athletes using IEDs because it's a fit and forget. You end up having light bleed or no bleed, but you still ovulate about six months after insertion of a Marina or progestin only women will start to ovulate. Mm -hmm. So you can track using basal body temperature over the counter ovulation predictor kits. So you can dial in your phases with a copper IUD. Um, you ovulate all the way through because it doesn't have any hormone to, to stop the ovulation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was maybe three or four months ago, the WHO actually put it on the top 200 essential medications. So the IUD is up there. Nice. I know. <laughs> yeah, I have been shouting that one from the rooftops for a lot of years, especially for athletes who travel a lot, right? Like when you think yeah. of the birth control pill and you're like back and forth to Europe and now your time yeah. zones, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and we don't see any performance perturbations with an IUD because you're still not you're ovulating. Like if we start to see performance perturbations, then we know that it's more red S, low energy availability, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually super interesting. The, the tracking with the basal body temperature. And I feel like I'm going to feel really uncomfortable getting an ovulation kit to check this, but uh, it's going to happen because I would really like to know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, I think you also had a recent post that I was really happy to see about you mentioned something to the effect of like any time in our cycles, we can bring our A game. Like, yeah, I know, you know, in Roar, even you talk about like optimizing training around your cycles, but talk to me about how cycle, like we can still do really well on our yeah. periods here. <laughs> so I think, I mean, when we're in the high performance space, we understand what performance is and what training is. But when I put that post up, people are like, well, what do you mean by performance? I'm like, okay, let's back up again. When we look at training, we know that there are times where we can leverage low hormone and where we need to look at, okay, we need to dial back a little bit because our body's not quite so resilient to stress. So we can manipulate our training. And the idea behind training is to have a greater training stress adapt to it, get fitter. But when we get like say our most important race on the day where we feel flat, right? And we know that we always feel flat on that day. Don't worry, because all the other things that go into performance is gonna supersede that physiological perturbation of the hormones. Meaning that we think about all the training we've put in and how we've adapted to that in our taper. We also have to think about the mental aspect. And this is really important. When we look at the mental aspect of performance and we have a positive mindset and all the mental skills that go into it, this brings your A game. If you are still a little bit like uncertain, you've been tracking, you understand that that's, you know, your flat day. So this is where we put nutrition interventions in to help and level the playing field because there's never a negative point in the cycle to perform well. Even women are like, oh, I have cramps and I feel awful in the first two days of my cycle. Okay, well, we know this. So let's look at how we can mitigate that inflammation response, how we can improve the, the power and the central nervous system fatigue so that it doesn't affect your, your, your race. And I get so many emails around the time of Kona of women are like, my period's gonna start on race day. I'm like, fantastic. And they're like, no, no, I have really bad cramping. It's like, okay, well, we'll do this, 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 try this, 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 this. And then they have one of the best races of their life, right? Oh, yes. Okay. So what are a couple of the, this, this, and this, that people this, can, this, and this. can try? It's, yeah. It's, um, kind of individual, but say you feel super flat and you're like, okay, well I have to do my a race on day 24 and my period is 30 days or my cycle is 30 days. And on day 24, I always feel flat. We know that's a high hormone phase. We know that you're right in the middle of a high inflammatory um, process. We know that estrogen is higher crossing blood brain barrier. So we have to unpack it a bit and be like, okay, well, we need to increase the amount of carbohydrate that you're eating 
throughout that week because our body doesn't store glycogen and we don't really tap into it that much. So what we need to do is we need to make more carbohydrate available so that we have uh, available blood sugar and we need to make sure that you're eating during your race to keep that blood sugar up so that we can keep tapping into the free fatty acids. The other thing about central nervous system fatigue and the fact that you're a woman is you're also going to be tapping into more amino acids for fuel. And we also know that if we're upscaling the amount of amino acids that are circulating and also helps support what's happening with neurotransmitters and can help dampen central nervous system fatigue. So this is where we put in some branched chain amino acids in your drink. We also know that women will fatigue from a central nervous system point of view rather than a peripheral point of view. So what I mean by that is men will tap out their glycogen and central nervous system fatigue, which is why they fatigue. But women, it's not about the fueling in their muscles. It's about that central nervous system. So we have to look at how are we going to take care of that central nervous system? We do parasympathetic the night before the race so that we make sure we get good sleep or even the three or four days before we're doing the PMS stack. So it's the magnesium, the zinc, the omega-3 fatty acids, the baby aspirin, so that we're dampening the inflammation. And then the day before and the day of the race, we are maximizing that carbohydrate availability and putting some more protein and amino acids in. I love that. And I think even having that protocol and sort of the, the mental gain you get from sort of being like, okay, boom, 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 here's my answer. I think that alone is enough to really help someone kind exactly. of come out of that funk of like, oh, I can't do well because I have my period. It's like, okay, no, here's my toolkit. Yeah. Gonna do, gonna do well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's amazing because when women have the information and they're empowered, you see it all the time. They're like, yeah, bring it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Cause I think it, the information about how to train during your cycle really got taken a little out of context. It felt like in the last couple of years where people were just kind of assuming that like it meant you're bad at other, like if you're good at yeah. this thing, you're going to be bad at this thing, or like, you're not going to be able to do this at this point. And I think you said it beautifully there a minute ago, like, no, this is just how to actually make it work for you with training, but it's not to say you can't do anything exactly. anytime. Yeah. Exactly. And that was um, part of the scientific community because there are a couple of different voices within the scientific community where there's some who are absolute black and white saying there's no evidence, there's no evidence, there's no evidence. And then there are another couple of voices that are saying, hey, let's look at the wide variety of, of scientific literature that's out there that's looking at immune system, metabolism, performance, um, what's happening from a lived experience. And we can see that you can actually train and leverage things according to how your body's responding to hormones. So that's how that miscommunication got because the people were like, no evidence. They're looking just at that one point in time in performance. And yes, we know that there is no negative thing at one point in time in performance. But if we're looking at how the body responds over a chronic situation of hormone perturbations, we can use that to our advantage. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. I love it. Now, the other thing I've been thinking about is, is that like menopause, we sort of know performance is gonna, you're probably gonna struggle a little bit during perimenopause, like into like the, the day of menopause. Yeah. Do you think that we can actually like make a comeback after menopause or like coming out of menopause and actually like still be making gains in our like forties, fifties, sixties? There has not been any research on it. But from anecdotal and case studies, yes, for sure. But we have to impress upon women that we have to get out of the idea of long, slow distance volume is the answer. Mm, say more. <laughs> because when we look at inherent sex differences and the way the body changes without the hormones, women are already very endurant. We have, uh, like I said, we have a different in the fatigue factor where it's a central nervous system, not a peripheral and central nervous system. We have more of the proteins within our mitochondria for free fatty acid utilization. So we don't have to do the quote metabolic efficiency, fasted training stuff because our bodies are already there. And you'll see this in the population that's coming up in ultra endurance. The age, average age of women who is really gravitating to that is the late 40s, early 50s mm -hmm. and, and beyond. It's because they're falling into that natural state where the body is super endurant. 
If you want to not be an ultra endurance athlete, or even if you are an ultra endurance athlete and you want to upskill, we have to change that mentality into polarizing our training, putting an emphasis on strength and high intensity. And this is such a mind F for a lot of endurance athletes because they're like, but what about, I need to put my zone two in. It's like, well, actually no, because coaching has not caught up with women's physiology. If you like quote zone two training, what is that? That is like really long, slow stuff to develop aerobic capacity and become endurance. Our body's already there. We are already there. What we lose significantly is power, strength, metabolic control, and our ability to, to use carbohydrate well. So we have to look at training to create those adaptive stresses. And this is where my lift heavy shit comes in because you look at all the literature around how estrogen affects the muscle. It's not just muscle protein synthesis. The other thing that estrogen does is it is responsible for how strong the bond is between actin and myosin, which are our key proteins for muscle contraction. We lose estrogen, we don't have a really strong bond. So the actual muscle contraction is not that strong. And the other aspect that estrogen has is when we look at the neural stimulation of a muscle contraction, there's this little gap called the gap junction where we have a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine that jumps that gap to depolarize the muscle, which is what causes us to have a muscle contraction. If we lose estrogen, we don't have as much acetylcholine. So we don't have as much power or signaling for a strong muscle contraction. If we are doing heavy lifting, then it becomes a central nervous system response. We're not responsible or we're not looking to estrogen. We're looking at the central nervous system saying, oh my gosh, this is a really heavy load. I have to put more acetylcholine in there. I have to have a stronger bond with that myosin and actin, and I have to be really on top of it. I have to fire it. So if we're doing heavy lifting, we're bypassing the estrogen needs. So this is that external stimulus that's creating the adaptive response to increase our speed and our, our, our power and our strength. Gotcha. Okay. Two, two kind of follow-ups to that. One is, so this is maybe like a dumb question. So apologies, but no dumb it, questions. it makes me think, are you better to start lifting heavy shit earlier? So you're lifting already as you head through perimenopause and into menopause, or are you better to pick it up later because then, you know, you'll have kind of a more like shock to the system stimulus. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> it's going to be a shock to the system regardless, right? And ideal, like you can start it whenever, whenever, right? If you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm already postmenopausal. I'm, I've lost the window. Absolutely not. You can start anytime. But when we look at starting premenopausal in our reproductive years, we don't have the tendency for soft tissue injuries and joint inflammation. Because when we get into perimenopause with the change of ratios, we see more soft tissue injuries. We have more joint pain, more overall injuries. This subsides when we get into actual menopause, but it is a changing in the ratios. We have a greater inflammatory, systemic inflammatory response. So we start earlier, we learn how to move better. We can really nail that movement and technique. So then we add load. When we get into perimenopause and we're starting to have all these niggles, your body already knows how to move well. So you might have to drop a load because you're not as confident and your body can't handle that load. And then you can slowly bring it back up. But there's so many different ways to lift heavy. It's not just the three by fives. You have cluster sets, you have drop sets. There's so many different ways to keep stimulating the body. So, I mean, of course I'm, I'm biased because I started lifting in high school and that was not the thing to do. And I used to be like one of two girls in the gym, but now you go and there's so many women in the gym. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. So the short answer is if you start lifting, when you hear this fantastic, regardless of what your age. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and then the other follow-up is how heavy is heavy? Like what, what should we be aspiring to? Yeah, that's also individual and relative, but we want to work to fatigue under a heavy load. So if it's three reps and you're like, I can't do anymore, then that's your heavy. If you're hitting 10 reps and you're like, I can't do anymore, that's still too light because you've done 10. So we want to hit that sweet spot of around six. Gotcha. And it could be, you know, four sets of six and that last six, you're just eking out and you can't quite get the right form. And then you stop at four. 
right? Because we want to work to fatigue under good mechanics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where I'd say a lot of, a lot of women and a lot of cyclists and endurance athletes in general, men and women here, uh, definitely. And I fall into this too, like using weights that are definitely not quite heavy. I'd say I'm doing the long, slow distance of weights right now, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Yeah. And people will be like, oh, I've done some resistance training. And it's like, are your legs really wobbly and you can't imagine getting on a bike right now? No. Well, then you didn't do it heavy enough. Yeah. There's, there's a good metric. Yeah. Would you want to get on a bike right now? How would that go? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe spin your legs out. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about bone health as well. Cause I know that starts becoming, I mean, that's an issue for women endurance athletes. Most of our Across lives. The board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So bone health we know is one of those critical things. And a lot of women, especially endurance athletes with not eating enough as well as not doing weight, the like weight bearing stuff, we are low on our bone density. We see this acceleration of loss of bone density, especially late perimenopause and into postmenopause, early postmenopause, because again, estrogen and progesterone both work together in concert with insulin growth, growth factor to create uh, bone turnover and more bone actually being built. So if we're looking again at these two hormones changing and the ratio is changing and we don't have the stimulus to build bone, this is how we start losing it coupled with a greater sympathetic drive, a greater catabolic state that we have in perimenopause. So things are being broken down. Mm -hmm. So this again is where we look at an external stress, right? Running, not enough. Strength training can help. Resistance training, heavy resistance training can help, but we need a multi-directional, multi-load. And this is where jump training comes in. Can be um, jump rope, right? Jump rope works, can be burpees, it can be box jumps, it can be plyometrics, but you need to have that multi-directional stress from landing to actually help with that bone mineral density. And it can, it's very small amount too. You're looking at, at the most three times a week, 10 minutes. So you can use your plyometric kind of jump stuff, jumping lunges and stuff at the end of a weight session or as a warm up. I wouldn't try to do it after a hill session on the bike. I've tried that before. It doesn't work very well. So you can definitely use it as um, we call the potentiation. So if you're doing jumping lunges before you go do hill reps, then you're going to potentiate your core, your glutes, your hamstrings, everything. And you're also getting the jumping that's going to stimulate the bone. Mm -hmm. So there's ways of incorporating it into your existing training. That's not going to be massively overwhelming of, oh, I have to go do this jump session. It's just jumping. I love that, especially honestly, as a trail runner, because the number of rocks that I jump off of, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty high. So I would probably benefit greatly from getting better at jumping off of things. Yeah, exactly. Everybody. And that's, you see a lot of people who are really good at jumping up, but not jumping down. It's the eccentric and the landing and the joints. So if we do counter movement jumps where you step up onto something and then you jump off it and learn how to land with soft knees and you're getting that that force, it really does help significantly, especially for trail run. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. This is like shifting gears slightly, but it's still kind of in the same vein. I have been really thinking a lot about this lately, eating enough versus eating well. I know so many women, especially, and as we get older, who are eating such nutrient dense diets but I would argue are probably super, super low on the energy availability for their actual like training. How, yes. how do we reconcile the, like the need to eat to fuel the training, but also the need to eat the healthy food that's nutrient dense and like we're supposed to be eating. Yeah. There's so many women who like fill up on salads and lots of fibery things and they're full before they get the actual calories in. Mm-hmm. And this is where we look at, okay, yeah, I'm a huge salad person. Like I love salad, but my salad at night is not just a couple of veggies and some spinach. It's spinach, it's beans, it's nuts, it's tempeh, it's fruit, it's seeds. It's like super dense, not only from a calorie standpoint, but also a nutrient standpoint. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at at women and being like, okay, well, we just need to look at how are we going to add more um, calorie dense don't freak out about calories, people. Calories are good. No bad. <clears throat> and, you know, small things like toast with butter on it. 
Super yummy, super good for you. And we need it. And then what we want to do is we want to, to fuel for what we are doing. So if we're looking at fueling in and around training, this is where we have less of the fibery foods and more of the calorie dense foods. Mm-hmm. I have some women who are like, but I love cocoa puffs. I'm like, great, have them after training with some protein powder and some almond milk. And then you have your quick hit of carbohydrates and protein and your great cereal hit. I don't Mm -hmm. recommend it to everyone, but for some people who have like the cereal habits and cereal milk, way to go right after training is perfect. If you are in fact cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Exactly. (laughs) Because that's when your body is going to really want that quick hit of carbohydrate, even though it is processed. Yes, I know, but Mm. you know, there are things. Um, So it's really looking at how are we going to get that calorie stuff in? It's in and around training. Mm -hmm. And then we look at quote eating clean, but increasing the amount of calories that are in those salads and not being afraid of avocados and butter and nut butter and seeds, because if you are always training, your body needs those calories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good maybe note as we're hitting the the holiday season and like, let's be honest, no matter how many years I tell myself, like, you're not going to read any of these like healthy for the holidays things. I always end up. Oh, it's the bane. I hate those articles that are like, you ate three cookies. You have to walk on the treadmill for an hour and a half. It's like, no, that is not like you cannot equate calories in a cookie to exercise and burning calories. It's not calories in calories out people. It's eat the damn cookie and don't have guilt. Yeah. I feel like the guilt is really where the bad stuff comes in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perpetuated yeah. by media, mm-hmm. right? Perpetuated by bad media, I should say. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. We've talked, I mean, I've been talking to you for t- probably 12 years, I think at this point about research on <laughs> the women's women in sport. How do you, th- has it gotten better? Are we finally like getting more research done on, on women in sport? Like what's our yeah. status? <laughs> we are the So we're in this little um, interesting part where now people are like, okay, we got to do research on women. We got to push it out. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's high quality because we'll see people who are pushing out research that's been done in like three or four weeks. And that's not an optimal design. So we have to be very cognizant of what's high quality and what we can then build upon versus people just throwing it out and saying, Hey, we did this on female athletes because I'm seeing a lot of papers come through where I'm like, this is not adequate design. There was one I was reading where they're talking about the luteal phase, but they didn't have any naturally cycling women. They are all on oral contraceptive pill and they tested in the third week of the active pill and called it the luteal phase. I'm like, no, that is not right. So we're in this weird spot now where yes, we're seeing a lot of uptake and a lot of push out of, of research on female athletes, which is fantastic. But we are also very cognizant that not all of it is high quality. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely going to be something to look out for as companies realize that there's like a lot of potential money to be made in this uh, in this sphere. So definitely, yeah, like, how, and how can someone, I guess, like, what are some of the ways we can kind of like be on the lookout for this? I guess, like, if we see a company being like, we tested, you know, X, Y, Z thing, Um yeah. Um, so it's hard, right? What? Whew, I know. So on the back burner, we're Catherine Ackerman out of Boston is working to create a female athlete research center mm. um, that's bigger than just what she's doing through the hospital in conjunction with the Wusai Alliance, which is a combination of lots of different universities. And what the vision is for that, and I'm hoping to help her, is that if a company wants to do research on female athletes, they come and contract us at the Female Athlete Research Center, because it's not just us doing research, but it's everyone who has a conversation about how to do female athlete research, like Kirstie Elliott-Sale, Claire Minahan, me, Yance Young, all the names in research are all collaboration here. So you have a research or you want to investigate something, then you bring it there and you know that it's going to be done. That's the vision. It's not quite there yet. So in the interim, if someone has something really trendy and is like, hey, look at this great, fantastic thing, try to find the original research 
and see what the methodology is. We want to look and make sure that if they're claiming it and it's on naturally cycling women, then they're all tested in the same phase. There's not a mix of oral contraceptive pill, IUD, and naturally cycling women. You just have to look at the hormone profile. That's the first and foremost thing. Look at the hormone profile. And if it seems questionable, then be like, let's wait till we see better or something else is going to substantiate this claim. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and then actually the last couple of things I wanted to ask you about are, are there any just terrible fads out there right now that are just making you cringe? I think, you know, the last time we talked the, the like fasted training and like the super long fasted training was super trendy. Uh, is there anything like that happening right now that you're just like, go away. Yeah, yeah, that's still it. (laughs) (laughs) That's still the thing. (laughs) But what's really interesting is um, now research is catching up. And I'm like, fantastic. Now there's even more research to substantiate this. There was a research um, study that was published in October that was looking at people who are bookending, like they eat the amount of calories they need to, but they eat between like 12 and 7 PM where they're bookending their calories towards the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It causes a complete shift in our metabolic hormones, which makes us burn less calories during activity mm-hmm. and stimulates us to store more fat, which is a contributor to all these negative body composition changes. Right. And if you think Great. about what, what fasting is, most people will delay their eating window till about noon. Mm-hmm. And then they won't eat after dinner. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm fasting. But it changes metabolic hormones, especially Amazing. in women. And so there's a lot of research coming out about women and fasting mm-hmm. still showing how bad it is for general health. And then I won't even get into all the nuances about fasted training because we know that it perpetuates things like low energy availability, menstrual cycle dysfunction, endocrine dysfunction, so many of those things. I love that we just rebranded skipping breakfast, right? Like it was like skipping breakfast was bad, but now we're just going to rebrand it and it's going to be like very healthy and very cool. Like, no, why would that be a thing? It's not. What, what we're seeing also is the confusion between what's time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting, mm. where everyone's putting in an intermittent fasting. If we look at time-restricted eating, and this is just rebranding of normal eating, you eat breakfast, then you don't eat after dinner, right? And you eat during the day when your body needs it. And we're working with our circadian rhythm. Like that is what we want to do. So we call it time-restricted eating because you're not eating after dinner. Like you're not having late night snacks. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but people are like, what? No, that's intermittent fasting. No, it's time restricted eating, meaning that you're restricting when you're eating to a normal window and you're not having calorie restriction. You're just eating normally, but people think that's boring. So we had to have a trendy word. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, the only times I will ever like fasted train will say is only because like I have friends that run at 6am and I'm frankly not getting up at 4.30 to eat breakfast and my GI system will not allow for me to eat before that run. It's not going to be a good situation. So I'll do the run. And let me tell you those days, I feel like crap. I get nothing done and I'm starving all day. Yep. So (laughs) have you done, have you done a, a protein fortified coffee before those runs? That'll work as long as I know where the porta potties are on the route. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you can ditch the coffee and just have protein fortified mm-hmm. almond milk or something like that. I mean, I personally prefer just skipping the runs and sleeping in and running at a reasonable time. Yeah, that tends to I be agree. my my go to. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, ex- exactly. And I I have done that. If I know it's going to be like a longer run, then yeah, I'll have a protein thing and I'll bring food with me, and it's fine. Yeah. But yeah. But I for just, the most part, you're right. You do fasted training, you feel awful. You get shaky, you're so hungry bad. all day. You're no, I'm useless. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, oh, that was my work for the day. I'm done. Like <laughs> my brain is my brain is done. And I think I, I you kind of said this before, like I guess like women with the, the central nervous system, I think we also need to just be more aware of like how exercise affects us brain-wise as well. Cause I know a lot of women that try to cram in so much with training and work and like I know yeah. if I do if I do my Wednesday workout in the morning, I am wrecked Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was complaining yesterday to my husband, I'm like, I'm so tired all the time. And he's like, it's because you're getting up and you're swimming every morning. I was like, mm. but I need that peace. 
And he's like, but you also need sleep. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Right, that. <laughs> yeah, How do I fit it in? Oh, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Um, and is there any, uh, last thing is any, any research coming out that you're super excited about or any fads or like trendy things that you're like, oh, thank God that's finally trendy again. Yeah. Eating is trendy. People talking mm-hmm. about eating protein, carbohydrate. I love that. People seem um, psyched. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're seeing, um, more and more research coming out about, um, strength based on your menstrual cycle and including rehabilitation, which is fantastic. Um, high quality research and yeah, so not anything new per se, but just really excited to see that more and more really solid, robust research is coming out to solidify a lot of the things that have been kind of circulating. Excellent. Awesome. All right. Before we go, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find level up or next level, uh, where they can find all of the courses. If there's any courses you're particularly excited about, tell us everything. Um, the website, of course, drstacysims.com and the doctor is DR, S-T-A-C-Y-S-I-M-S. Uh, so that could, kind of gives you the overview. You can go and find Next Level there. You can also find Next Level at um, smaller bookshops. So if you can support your local um, mom and pop shop, that would be fantastic. All of our small courses are micro learning. So this is like the deep dive into protein and protein supplementation, because my goal is for someone to take this course and then be able to go to a grocery store, pick up protein, read the label and be like, yeah, that's good or not good. So it's that kind of education, but everything's 50% off. So you can go and put in um, the Christmas 50 as a quote bro code and get 50% off all of the micro learns. So there's a whole bunch of things. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So if anything on here uh, in this podcast sounded interesting, there's probably a micro course on that. (laughs) There is. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Stacey, thank you so much. It was as always a pleasure catching up with you. Hopefully we'll be in the same hemisphere one of these days and uh, get to do do it in real life thing. I think last time I saw you, it was like interbike at like back in like 2012 or something. Something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Sadness. Sadness. It's been a minute. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it has been. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon. Cool. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.